Welcome, True Believer readers, to Let's Read Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the Pacebot Patreon Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, you may also enjoy a podcast about non-traditional sports. I really love obscure sports. Tell me more, James B. Join villain status quo each week as he updates the situation in the ultimate explosive Frisbee League, a league where annoying Frisbee players run for their lives as status quo and friends try to end fads permanently with explosive Frisbees. Listen to Boom, You Dead on the PaySpot Patreon podcast network. I love Ultimate Frisbee and Disc Golf, but Status Quo has got to be the most boring person possible to narrate that, so. And now, from November of 1979, Spider-Woman 20, Tangled Webs, script by Mark Grunwalk, pictures by Springer, and inked by Esposito. Spider-Woman, a.k.a. Jessica Drew, has a wad of cash on her bed. She recently stole from her former employer, the Hatros Institute. She gives us a flashback from earlier that day where she was abruptly fired because she wasn't actually ever hired and apparently not qualified enough for the job. Both atrocious excuses, everyone. And the Institute refuses to give her back pay for work she had completed. Compounding her problems when she arrives home from the firing, she finds a notice forcing her out of her apartment in less than a week. In an impulse of anger, she dons her Spider-Woman outfit glides on Glossomer Web to the Institute and robs it. Yeah, it's kind of clever writing to find a way to have them not have to pay her, yet make the reader feel she was due the money. They did a really nice job in that book. I, I, it's one of those cases where if you had to defend either side, I think you could. Uh, remember also, Eddie, even though we're doing Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Mans and Amazing Spider-Mans, uh, this is technically just a Spider-Woman book. This is her book. So... Yes. The reader should be supporting her in her own book, right? Right. It's her book. She's an anti-hero at worst. Yeah. Spider-Man is morally dubious often. So uh, once home, Spider-Woman regrets her decision and goes back to the Institute to return the stolen money. Unfortunately, Peter Parker, who's on an obscure assignment, spots her at the money safe. He gives chase as Spidey and eventually catches and battles his seemingly female double, but when they finally start to talk, because the obligatory hero battle took place, we learn that Spider-Woman's origin story is vastly different from Spider-Man's. The pair of web heroes have one more tiff, but after Spider-Woman explains her situation further, Spider-Man lets her off the hook saying, you remind me too much of myself. Take care, lady. And the book ends. We have returned to another instance of Spider-Man's character judgment here. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Also, earlier I said this was her book because I presume more Spider-Man readers are buying this with him on the cover than her regular readers. I think this issue is very pro-Spider-Man and for his readers. And after reading it, you might think like, oh, you know what? You know, I, I might want to try Spider-Woman, but I think this was just a promotional crossover for her from his from his fans. Yeah, that's what he's been used as for a very long time. I don't know. The ending, like I said, is a little bothersome. It's not a great judgment of character. Eddie, we're going to do four books this podcast. If we have time later, maybe after the music, uh, I want to talk about her origin a little bit. Okay. But I think we need to jump into the next book. And the next book is from 1979, and it's Stanley Presents The Amazing Spider-Man Annual 13, The Arms of Dr. Octopus, written by Wolfman, penciled by Byrne, and inked by Terry Austin. 
Jimbo Ryan is murdering a government stoolie while somewhere underground not far away, Doc Ock is raging angry because the plans he's using to build a machine have gone missing. We quickly move to Spider-Man breaking up a random robbery. Although the robbers did their best to try and squash him, he's trying to squash me. Spidey quickly subdues them. While looking from a distance at the police arresting the criminals, he is visited by a shadowy figure who tells him a Secret Service agent named Ken Blake was recently murdered. Peter confirms this is the truth in finding Ken's wife in a similar situation to Aunt May's after Uncle Ben's death. Peter contemplates his options on how he can help. As he's changing into costume, the shadowy operative appears again in his apartment and now knows his secret identity. Feeling like he could easily be exposed, he decides to help the man. Yeah. I mean, I, I this was one that I knew was happening right away, but they're like, hey, I have this great story idea. Here's a story I'm going to write. And they're like, oh, we'll just insert Spider-Man into it and call it a Spider-Man annual. I mean, it doesn't really, could have been anybody, but whatever. It doesn't even have to have a hero in it. Uh, I didn't need to read anymore to know what's going to happen, but apparently you, you had to read it for the summary. So continue with what happened. Well, I, I got to stop here because I really loved so much of the artwork in this book and the, the graffiti behind Doc Ock in chapter one, the opening. He's like pounding his fist out of the, his table because he's missing his plans. But there, there's all sorts of goofy graffiti. And I wish I knew some of the inside stories, you know, like Lisa Fioto, Peter DeCourt. But I really enjoyed like, Ock is our man. <laughs> Luther is a dum-dum. <laughs> It's just very funny to think this is, you know, like his henchmen have been drawing on the walls where they're waiting for whatever their next assignment is going to be. <laughs> uh, well, back to the summary, uh, James B. Peter dons a tough guy outfit and goes undercover, quickly endearing himself to Jim Jimbo Ryan, the criminal from earlier. Unfortunately, Doc Ock interrupts the criminal's heist, and after exposing Peter as a reporter, departs to find other squealers to help him locate Jimbo. Uh, the criminal gang Peter was consorting with throws an unconscious Peter into the Hudson. With more help from the omnipresent government operative, uh, Spidey catches up with Doc Ock, and he's shaking down another criminal, and a short classic Ock battle ensues. Uh, once again, John Byrne draws Doc Ock clawing through the night at the beginning of Chapter 3. It, it is some fantastic artwork the the way he draws this perspective um with ox tentacle very close to where uh, we are and then you know i know i know it seems silly but the the street lights look like van gogh's starry night there's definitely some sort of illusion here uh well continuing on spidey catches up with ock again a little later about to torture jimbo at a construction site the shadowy government operative is there and aggressively questions jimbo who clumsily falls off the skyscraper just as Spidey has operate where he wants him, he must save Jimbo, and the now three-tentacled octopus limps away. Peter visits Mrs. Blake at the end, uh, the murdered Secret Service agent's wife, and discovers... Her dead husband was the shadowy operative, helping Spider-Man the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, he's literally almost floating in the air at one point. I'm like, oh, this is a ghost. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, well, I, you were a little more observant than me, I guess, because yeah, Eddie, I, is, Eddie, I was on. curious. Eddie, you're wasting just so much energy on this book. 
This is just another annual that makes no effort to tie into Spider-Man or the storyline. I mean, literally, Doc Ock was there to sell the annual. Well, but... uh, th- I guess that's how all annuals are and are kind of supposed to be. I, I think it presents an opportunity to do something a little different. And although we have Doc Ock in here, I mean, he well, he uses several new things. But I, I got to say the artwork is just by far the best part and really well done. Uh, that's... That was that's what the saving grace of this annual was. Well, it's time for our third book from December of 1979. Stanley presents Peter Parker: The Spectacular Spider-Man Annual One, and Men Shall Call Him Octopus by Mantlo, Buckler, and Jim Moody. And Eddie, this book is sort of a direct continuation from the Amazing Spider-Man Annual that we just spoke about. Yeah, a strange crossover, but so be it. Uh, Spidey is still on the hunt for Doc Ock. While investigating the scene of their last fight for clues, Spider-Man finds the severed tentacle he ripped off during their last encounter. Uh, Octopus is three-tentacled right now. Uh, He takes it to his ESU lab for inspection. At ESU, Peter is approached by Marcy Kane. Uh, Marcy is attempting to apologize for being mean to Peter with a twinkle of affection in her eye, but Peter won't have it. He locks himself into his lab and begins to analyze the errant tentacle. But the tentacle comes to life, and despite Peter's best efforts to stop it, it begins its journey back to its owner. Uh, Peter tags it with the tracer and follows. Yes, between this podcast and the next one, Peter's just flinging tracers around like he's, you know, there's so much... So cheap. Yes. He has so many of them. He's flipping them on everything. Anytime someone turns around, he hits them with a tracer. It's, it's <laughs> insane. I actually have a lot to say about this book. I'm sorry I didn't have a lot to say about the previous book. Um, right, let's go speed. with the fact that I like that here we are talking about Spider-Man and Doc Ock's tentacle and not unknown characters and ghosts and dead people that I don't care about. So that's a great start. It's also the first and only time so far that Marcy Kane is making an effort and during this whole thing, I mentioned, I'm just distracted by this stupid tracer. And I wanted to talk about uh, these little dumb devices. And one of them were those mercy bullets. You remember we were discussing yeah, mercy bullets? How can I forget trying okay. to talk about mercy bullets? <laughs> well, if you remember in Let's Read Spider-Man 151, in the middle of the podcast, I said, hey, uh, Kevin Ewing, could you just go ahead and let us know about these mercy bullets? And through the magic of some editing, because usually we wouldn't be able to answer this for about six podcasts, we are able to answer this. Now, Kevin writes, regarding the question in episode 151, I think Eddie is at least half right. Brilliant. In Giant Size Spider-Man issue four, Punisher mentions drugs knocking out Spidey. And then there's like a picture of it and it says, footnote, Spider-Man recovered from the tranquilizing drug I was forced to give him. How insightful. I think this was from a tranquilizer dart and not his typical mercy bullets. Whether Punisher's mercy bullets were just rubber bullets that hurt a heck of a lot, enough to knock someone out, or they included a drug to anesthetize, I don't know that it was specified either way. Perhaps we should look into this idea further. So there you go. That's why we have Kevin Ewing, the guy who's read like 3,000 more Spider-Man comics than we have read. Okay, so let's get back to our other thing here, so... Uh, yeah, we're at the we're in the middle of the book, James B. <laughs> All right, we'll go ahead and finish the book. The errant tentacle proves hard to follow, but Spidey eventually finds it on a freighter. After tricking Spidey, Doc Ock attacks. <laughs> a long-winded battle ensues, and when Spidey finds himself confined inside the bowels of the vessel, Doc Ock uses some new weapons to get the better of him and knocks him out. 
He chucks the unconscious Spidey into the water and disembarks in his submersible octosphere. Uh, Spidey is picked up by some Navy men and discovers that the government is testing a new nuclear submarine. He swings to the sub and subdues the guards just in time for Doc Ock's arrival. But Ock manages to board the sub and nearly escapes, but for Spidey ripping the top hatch off and entering the sub to fight Ock. Uh, a lot of criminal activity happens in shipyards around here. Uh, the two battle as the sub sinks, water's pouring in everyone, and while both seem to escape, Doc, Doc Ock's bum tentacle, which was recently reattached, gets stuck on the sinking sub, and he is dragged under to his death. Maybe? Yeah. No. A lot of any a lot of villains and heroes disappear into the water, presumably dead. Fallen into the water and gone forever. A book that has a lot of heroes and a lot of villains is when we finish off our story that we started a while ago, which involves Spider Man crossing over with Electro and the Fantastic Four and the Frightful Four. And that would be from May of 1980, Stanley presents the Fantastic Four 218, When a Spider Comes Calling, by Mantlo, Byrne, and Joe Sinat. The Trapster is climbing the Baxter Building, disguised as Spidey, with the rest of the Frightful Four, Sandman, Electro, and the Wizard, hovering above. Sandman is enjoying torturing the pasted-up real Spidey inside the wizard's anti-gravity craft when we see the Trapster enter Johnny Storm's bedroom. After a quick conversation, the Trapster knocks the torch out, uh, still disguised as Spidey the Trapster, who I regularly think is the worst and most useless villain, longtime villain, finds the thing and, after pasting his eyes, tricks him into punching the Baxter Building's main defense systems. This also electrocutes the thing into unconsciousness. Yeah, the only thing more surprising than how well the Trapster is doing <laughs> is how little Spider-Man has done this far. And then I realized, oh, this is actually a Fantastic Four book. So as long as we see the Fantastic Four, that's fine. It's their book, right? Even though Spider-Man's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. I, I, well, and a continuation from a Spider-Man book. So. Right. Uh, the rest of the Frightful Four... Uh, get into the building and subdue Sue Storm, leaving only Reed Richards. As it looks, the Trapster's pace has shackled its fourth victim, Reed Richards. Spidey crashes in. The Frightful Four clumsily attacks Spidey, only managing to accidentally take out one of their own, the Wizard. Uh, when Reed is released, he manages to grab a vacuum sucking up the Sandman, just like the first time the Sandman was defeated, uh, while Spidey lassos Electro with a rubber fire hose. The Trapster senses the tide turning, but as he attempts to escape, bumps into the now-freed Thing, Sue, and Johnny Storm. Uh, after some paste-pot Pete mockery, the Trapster faints at the thought of fighting, and it's over. That's the paste-pot Pete I know, fainting at the thought of battle. <laughs> Uh, you want to talk about Pace Pot Pete some more? Well, he's so prominent in this book, and I have not never been impressed by Pace Pot Pete, and uh, he's super successful. I, I I think it's a bit of a stretch to think that Pace Pot Pete can move like Spider-Man because he does a lot. Uh, I, he doesn't have any super strength, right, James B., or some kind of agility? No, he's a guy. Yeah, right? And... <laughs> 
Uh, he does prove to be very, you know, like he's climbing up the side of the Baxter building with suction cups here at this point. But he fools the thing and Johnny Storm. Thankfully, he's got his mask on and muffles his voice, you know. So Johnny Storm, who should know Spider-Man's voice by now quite well, doesn't recognize that it's not Spider-Man. It's Pace Pop Pete. He maybe learned that from you with your whole COVID uh, voice muff muffling episode. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you fooled them. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even know who was on that episode. It could have been anyone. <laughs> Couldn't hear their voice clearly. You did a good job with the summaries. Thank you. They were long books, really long books, actually. I, you know, I wasn't sure if we had everything we wanted to. I mean, Doc Ock's tentacle getting ripped off seemed like a way bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. Did you, did you see how he like went to see a doctor? And when the doctor said it was all in his head, <laughs> he, he was like, you quack and threw him into the ground and said, heal thyself. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I... So I'm sorry, man. You got like your metal rim lip ripped off. He also calls it his arm. And then he's like, my tentacle. So I, I, well, the... I really was his arm, I guess. He thinks it is. In Iron Man 3, the movie, I believe, uh, they're trying to get all the pieces of Iron Man like reassembled and he's like punching people and he's waiting for all the pieces to like fly around the world yeah. back to him. And they're mm -hmm. like, they're stuck in the, in the shed with the little kid who had to give him a tuna sandwich. You know? and <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like they're busting out like little at a time. He's fighting like missing pieces of it. I'm thinking of Doc Ock, like waiting for his tentacle. Like, where's my final tentacle? I, it, yeah. I thought it was super funny that like Spider-Man could not keep up with a tentacle. <laughs> it gets away from him in the ESU lab. And he's like, ah, good thing I tagged it with the tracer because it's gone. Like, so what, if how you fast had, is this tentacle? If you had to make bets on your uh, under and your undercard battles for the day, and it said uh, undercard battle, um, Trapster faces Human Torch <laughs> and Thing, you would have circled uh, not Trapster, not Trapster, and then it said main event Spider Man versus one tentacle of Doc Ock. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like the tentacle too. It takes up, what do I want to say? Like nine panels, two pages of tentacle chasing. And, and the tentacle plays an even bigger part because when Spider-Man gets to the freighter, he sees the tentacle and he's like, there's that tentacle. And then he goes down and it turns out to be... A fake tentacle. <laughs> And, and that's the trap that Doc Ock laid, was to chuck the fake tentacle on the freighter's deck and to fool Spider-Man. And still nine pages of a tentacle battle is still better than Jimbo Ryan murders <laughs> Kent Blake. And at the end of the story, the wife says, here's a photo of my dead husband. Dun, dun, dun. It's weird, freaky stuff in Spider-Man, though. I, you know, I, I think the most disturbing part is like, we don't, we don't have ghosts in Spider-Man. Is that a thing? I, well, no, Hammerhead. Right? Hammerhead comes back as a ghost. Well, that's true. He is like a, yes, that's true. <laughs> there is that precedent for it. Yeah, I know that because I had to get ghost sound effects before, so I knew we had a ghost thing, so. <laughs> turned back to, into a radioactive whatever he was after that so eddie uh i think we need to wrap things up because these books you know they don't deserve too much more of our time 
how can people uh, reach out to us? You can email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you could find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. And I'm James B., joined by... Eddie! And remember that Let's Read Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man is a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. One podcast you might be interested in would be How to Be a Superhero, a podcast where you find out how you, a regular person, could be a superhero. Well, I think I could try listening to that one. It would be interesting. Join the Trapster each week. I'm sorry, I mean Pastepot Pete, as he explains to you how you can dress up like Spider-Man and use suction cups, and you can talk through your mask with a COVID mask to muffle your voice, and all kinds of amazing ways you can be a real superhero, just like Pastepot Pete, the Trapster. Listen to From Zero to Hero each Tuesday night at midnight on the Pastepot Patreon Podcast Network. <laughs> That sounded good initially, James B., and now I'm just not so sure. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Eddie, did you see the origin story of Spider-Woman? I did, yes. It was very long and convoluted. I, In fact, I don't know if I could tell you exactly what it was without going back to reread it. Yeah. it, And they they did some kind of retconning, too, because the first Spider-Woman story, she is an agent of Hydra. And ah. she is somebody who's got some spider venom in or something. Mm-hmm. And then they come back with the origin and the origin is the real origin, plus it includes Hydra kidnapping her and then brainwashing her to believe the Hydra origin story. <laughs> wow. Th- thank you for explaining that. Because the, the most notable thing I fa- thought was, this is so different from Peter Parker's story. That's, that's for sure. Okay, the most different part is the fact that she is raised by these uh, high evolutionary people that have been transformed into animals. Yeah. And like, so she's raised by like a cow woman. Yes. And like a leopard man. With- right. And she's a, hu- but she's like human looking and everybody else is like, uh, like an know, animal that yes. walks. <laughs> exactly. They all look not two feet. Right. Right. They're all kind of crazy looking. Super um, weird and strange. Eddie, it said in the show notes that there was a game at one point. The Eddie game. <laughs> what, tell us about I, the Eddie game you have scheduled. I cannot remember what game I was going to do. I think it was something to do with the Trapster, but I I, would think I so wrote too. it down and forgot. <laughs> so if this podcast comes in at like 23 minutes, the listeners will understand that the Eddie game... It's supposed to... The <laughs> deleted last minute. Lovely. What was it? It's in must be in my notes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>